Thank you, Brother Frank. So Christmas is a season full of surprises. I got a surprise this morning. Uh, Mike, his suit lights up. Stand up for us, Mike. This is fantastic. And so go ahead, go ahead, turn it on. Now, if you can't see it, you'll have to come find him after the service. Look at that man. Look at that man. That right there. Oh, man. That's a Christmas surprise. <laughs> Christmas is a season full of surprises. You know, I found as a parent that it's harder and harder to surprise the kids. You know, I think I'm cute and we think we're clever and we get the big box and we put extra weights in the bottom and we do all these things and the kids still pick it up and they're like, ah, it's this specific Lego set. And I'm like, how? How? I, I can remember when I was growing up, maybe I was just dumb. But uh, my parents were able to, like, trick and fool me at every stinking turn. And, but Christmas is a season of surprises. Many times they're good surprises. Sometimes they're not so good surprises. One of these days, I'm going to be totally carnal. And for Christmas, I'm going to get David Wyrick one of those fake lottery tickets. And uh, it's going to be one of those that's redeemable at your mama's house. You know what I mean? So, so don't tell him. Uh, but one day, I'm going to do that. And we'll have to be sure we get it on film. But as we think about Christmas surprises, I think we have to also stop and remember that the first Christmas was not without its surprises either. Consider the shepherds surprised in their field. Consider the wise men surprised by a light. Consider King Herod surprised by reports of a newborn king. Consider Joseph, surprised by a pregnant fiancé, surprise, and an angelic messenger. Yes, the first Christmas was also full of surprises. But this morning, I want us to focus in a little bit on Mary, who received a fairly significant surprise of her own that first Christmas season. And see, in Mary, a number of ways that she was surprised by God and by the gift of Jesus that first Christmas. Let's look together at this passage beginning in verse 26. And the Bible says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women." And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Verse 29 is just a uh, fancy way of saying she was surprised and a little concerned. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. And bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, Um, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. 
Consider with me a couple of Christmas surprises this morning. First of all, consider this. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. Now, God's Word declares this, doesn't it? Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, the Bible clearly says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's Word declares this truth. We know this to be true by our personal experience. And yet, how many of us are still surprised that God's ways are not our ways? Humanly speaking, God sent His Son in a strange way. God chose an insignificant girl from an insignificant place to be a major part of the most significant event in human history. Think about it this way. Mary was probably somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. 12 and 14. Mary was probably poor and illiterate. Now the Bible does tell us that Mary was a godly, pure lady. But I I want us to understand that there was nothing about Mary that warranted the plan God had for her life. The Bible says that she found favor with God. That word favor is the same Greek word used for grace. Mary found grace with God. Now here's the thing about grace. It's undeserved. And so if you have to earn it, guess what it isn't? It isn't grace. There was nothing about Mary that warranted her place in the Christmas story. There was nothing about Mary that that, that made her where she made herself a prime choice for God. No, she found favor, grace with God. Such a strange thing for God to choose an insignificant girl from an insignificant place. It makes it clear here that she was from the town of Nazareth. Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was not a respected place. In fact, in the Gospel of John, we see this comment made about Nazareth Nazareth in John 1 and verse 46. And Nathanael said unto him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Like, really? I know that place. And we both know ain't nothing good coming from that hole in the wall. Nazareth, think about it this way. How many of you do some Christmas traveling maybe or some vacation traveling or you travel to family here and there? You have those towns that you travel through but not to, right? I mean, you know they've got the Wawa gas station or the Speedway where you can go in and get a reliable snack and and fill up in cheap gas. I mean, it's a place you travel through, but it ain't the place you travel to. That was Nazareth. They may have had a good gas station, but not much else. Insignificant people in insignificant places. Church, God's ways are not our ways. Not only did God send His Son in a strange way, but church, we also have to remember this morning that God sent His Son in an impossible way. Preacher, what do you mean by that? Virgins do not give birth to babies. Virgins do not give birth to babies. This is humanly impossible. Because God created it so that since the beginning it takes two. Yet, this 
was the promise and plan of God. Back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, we see the Bible say this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. How did this happen? How can this happen? Well, that was Mary's question too. How does it happen? It is a miracle of God. The miracle of the virgin-born Son of God. Now, church, this Christmas season, let's not discount that Jesus was virgin-born. The significance of the virgin birth cannot be overstated. You see, Jesus had no earthly human father. Why is that important? Because he had no earthly human father, he also did not inherit humanity's sinfulness. And this was necessary because Jesus didn't come to share our sin, but to save us from our sin. He is the perfect Lamb of God, the heaven-sent and virgin-born Son of God. Boy, church, I am so glad that God's ways are not our ways. And yet, how many of us are still surprised when God's ways are not our ways? But I'm going to tell you, church, that's a good thing, amen? Because God still delights to use insignificant people from insignificant places to do powerfully impossible things for His glory. God is still accomplishing His plan of redeeming and using fallen humanity, not just in important places, but in every place. And I'm going to tell you, Christmas should give us some perspective. Because Christmas proves that even when we don't understand, God knows what He's doing. Let it sink in. Even when I don't understand. Mary said, how can this be? Even when I don't understand, God still knows what he's doing. And I'm going to tell you, that right there ought to provide peace to our hearts. Amen? Think about it this way. Maybe our way may want relief. But we have to believe that God has a reason. Maybe our way is to want peace. But we have to trust that God has a process. You see, you and I only see the immediate. God sees eternity. And you cannot rush or reason greater than God. Boy, what a beautiful thing for us to remember this Christmas season. I don't know better than God. Hey, can we say that together? I don't know better than God. Let's say it again. I don't know better with God. Now, think about it this way. My kids, if they got what they wanted for Christmas, they would get cell phones and puppies. Both of which would make their lives a mess. They are not prepared for cell phones or puppies. You ain't getting them, boy. You ain't getting them. Not happening. 
My kids think they know what they want. My kids think they know what they need, but they really have no earthly idea the consequences of what they think they want. Wait a minute. I don't know better than God. I don't know better than God. Think about it this way. The disciples, Jesus' earthly ministry, they didn't want Jesus to die. Peter said, far be it from thee, Lord, and he started rebuking him. Boy, I'm sure glad Jesus went ahead and died and didn't give Peter what he wanted. When surprised by God, I love Mary's example. Oh, Mary had questions. She said, how can this be? But though Mary had questions, she didn't doubt. When Mary's world was turned upside down, she didn't allow her heart to be filled with worry, but with worship. In fact, a little farther in this chapter, Luke 1 and verse 46, Mary sings, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. God knows what He's doing, even when I am surprised by him. So let's consider these Christmas surprises. What was the first one, church? The first surprise was God's ways are not our ways. There's a second surprise here. Jump back up to verse 30. The Bible says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold... Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, and (coughs) he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So the first surprise we see is that God's ways are not our ways. The second surprise we see this morning is this, that God's favor doesn't always feel fair. That God's favor, His grace, doesn't always feel fair. Think about Mary this morning. Mary found favor, grace with God. Mary had been chosen by God for one of the most monumental moments of human history. She would give birth to the Messiah, God with us. But I think sometimes while we sing our hymns, it's easy to forget that this made her life harder, not easier. Mary, this little 12 to 14-year-old girl, she lost her reputation. Think about it. What if a 13-year-old girl showed up pregnant? But said, don't worry, everybody, because an angel told me I was going to be pregnant, but it's okay because the baby's God, and the Holy Spirit put him there. How would that go over amongst the community? Mary, a godly, pure young woman, lost her reputation. Mary risked losing her family. You'll remember, what was Joseph's initial reaction? He was minded to to put her away. Now, Joseph was a man of character. But Joseph, you have to imagine if Mary was 12 12 or 13, Joseph was probably 14 to 16 years old. 
He probably felt betrayed and hurt. He probably felt a lot of fear. What is going on? Joseph was going to divorce her. She lost her reputation. She risked losing her family. She risked public humiliation. We know that many times that, that, that young ladies who were pregnant out of wedlock, they would be publicly shamed, sometimes for days, to make an, an example for all of the other women of the community, lest they also choose the same path. No, when the angel showed up and said, Mary, you found favor with God, you're going to have a baby. We think, hot dog, that's great. Praise the Lord. Silent night. But that made Mary's life harder, not easier. Favor doesn't always feel fair. Go back to Joseph. I mentioned he was probably 15 or 16, betrayed, hurt, fearful. He, was, he wasn't going to humiliate Mary publicly, but he was ready to walk away. You know, think about God's grace. Think about God's gifts to us. Let me make this statement. God's grace, God's gifts, God's will are always good. No, come on, church. We can do better than that. God is good, amen? God's grace is good, amen? God's gifts are good, amen? God's will is good, amen? We know that God is a good father. We know Psalm 84, he's a son and shield to give grace and glory that no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. We know, we know that, that he is the father of lights, that every good thing comes from him. God is good. But sometimes, while the grace and the gifts and his will is good, sometimes they come wrapped in peril and pain and in problems. And the sad thing is, so many people choose to miss God's plan, and they choose to miss God's grace, not because it isn't good, but because they don't particularly like how it was wrapped. But Christian, you will never know the grace or the gift until you choose to accept it and unwrap it. God knows what he's doing. He knows how to work all things for his glory and our good. Amen. Romans 8 and 28 reminds us of this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It may be surprising to us. It may be painful for us. It may turn our world upside down. But his will is good and perfect. Romans 12 and verse number 2 reminds us of that. Not being conformed to the world, but being transformed. Why? That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But preacher, God has handed me some painful things. God, I know the Bible says that I am blessed that I am beloved, that I am a child of God, that I am a joint heir with Christ, that, that God has great plans and God has a great purpose for me. And I know the Bible says that God has victory for me to live in and he's got a salvation for me to, to, to mine out and enjoy the riches of for all eternity. I know this, but I don't feel it. I don't always feel it, preacher. Sometimes I feel anxious and I feel scared and I feel stuck. 
But church, we talk about God's favor. We talk about God's grace. We talk about God's gift of Jesus. We've got to bring it to the present, amen? We're not just talking about some historical gift. We are talking about a relevant God. He, he is not just... He is not, God was with us. He is God with us. Amen? He'll never leave us or forsake us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. He intercedes for us, the Bible says. He is God with us. He is God with you. God's favor doesn't always feel fair. Sometimes God leads us down roads that are hard. Many times things happen outside of our control. And they don't feel good. But I'm going to tell you, when you put them in God's hands, He'll make them good. And Mary, whew, this little 12 or 13 year old girl, Mary provides a beautiful example of how to respond when God's favor doesn't seem fair. Mary's heart was not full of resentment. Mary didn't look up to heaven and say, God, don't you know what you're taking away from me? God, don't you know what I'm risking here? God, don't you know what you might be asking me to give up? No, Mary's heart was not full of resentment. Her heart was full of gratitude. In fact, just a few verses later, she sang, beginning in verse 47 and 48, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Keep that verse right there, Liz, if you would. Look at that. Mary wasn't thinking about all of the things she might lose. No, she realized God's grace on her life only brought her gain would only lift her up, would only make her blessed. She trusted that God's will for her was better and greater than any will she could imagine for herself. Christmas is a season of surprises. What's the first one, church, we looked at this morning? The first surprise we saw, point number one, is simply what? God's ways are not our ways. But that's okay, because I don't know better than God. Amen? What's the second surprise we see this Christmas season? That God's favor doesn't always feel fair. You know what? If I'm living for God, sometimes I feel like I should just like not have problems, right? God's favor doesn't always feel fair. But God is always good. One more surprise this morning. I know you're not surprised by the fact that there's three points, but that's okay. <laughs> Verse 36 through 38. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Would you read Verse 38 in unison with me? And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So we see, first of all, that God's ways are not our ways. We saw, secondly, that God's favor doesn't always feel fair. Finally, this morning, a third surprise for us this Christmas season is that my surrender is key to my success. My surrender is key 
to my success. Mary's simple yet profound response to the surprises that God had gifted to her was simply to surrender her life to him. She calls herself the handmaid of the Lord. A handmaid was the lowest of household servants or slaves. She submitted herself to God. She submitted herself wholly to God because she recognized that she belonged to Him. Church, can I say in love, this is something that we are missing. Surrender. Total surrender. Oh, we rejoice in this season because Jesus has come. Amen? And Jesus has come bringing salvation. Amen? But so often we rejoice that Jesus has come bringing salvation. And we we think that he's also come to, to make our lives blessed. Meaning to make our lives better, easier, more comfortable. But church, can I say this morning that your success... Your satisfaction, your strength for living, strength in life, it doesn't come from adding Jesus to your life. It comes from giving your life to Jesus. He is the potter. We are the clay. I needed somebody to help me illustrate this this morning, and so I thought... Who would be a good representation of the Lord? Bill Brown, come help me if you would. Don't worry, he's not playing a trumpet today. So very often, intentionally or unintentionally, we get into our minds that when we become a Christian, we're going to add Jesus to our lives. And Jesus, I'm heading this way, so you're coming too. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus, I need you to take care of this. Can you move that a little bit for me? It it looks like it might be blocking my way. Uh, Other way, Jesus, other way. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, we're going this way. Jesus, I need you to make my wife be nice to me. (laughs) No, he will not. I need you to make my wife be nicer to me. Come on, I'm, I'm doing this and I need you to do this. All right, it's a narrow way, Jesus. Fix that, fix that, fix that, please. Fix it, thank you, thank you. I don't want to be near him. Protect me from him. Uh, protect me from him. Uh, uh, and we want, to, we want to add Jesus to our lives. And I'm going to take Jesus with me and you're going to make my life better. You're going to make it easier and more comfortable and you're going to make, you're going to make everything better. Okay? But you know what? That's not what the Bible says. It's not about adding Jesus to our lives. It's about giving our lives to Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, Jesus changes everything. In John chapter 3 and verse number 3, Jesus said this, except a man be born again. By the way, new birth changes everything. Except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, it's not just about adding Jesus to my life. It's about receiving new life from Jesus. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4, the Bible says this. 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should what? Walk in newness of life. See, he just doesn't give me new life. He turns my life around. Amen? Go ahead, turn my life around, Jesus. Now I get to walk in newness of life. It's a new life. It's a new direction. Jesus, where are we going? You lead the way. No, no, no. See, this is the part where Jesus, you lead the way. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 12, or we see this. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. By the way, when things get a little bit tight, when things get a little bit scary, what do we do? We just draw closer to Jesus. Amen. If God be for us, who can be against us? Cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Oh, Jesus changes everything. Titus chapter 2. Where are we going, Jesus? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Do you know where we're going? I don't know where we're going. I'm trusting you at this point. Do you know where we're going? Okay. Jesus changes everything. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 11 reminds us, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified. Keep leading, Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of our God. Jesus changes everything. He'll change your direction. He'll change your attitude. He'll change your appetite. Jesus changes everything. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Jesus changes everything, amen? But are you allowing him to fully change you? See, Mary allowed God to completely rewrite the script. Whatever script Mary had in her life was gone. Mary allowed God to completely rewrite her script. Now here's the thing about us. We have way more information than Mary did. Remember, she was poor and probably illiterate. We have so much more information. But the problem is we have so much less faith. Oh, we resist God. We limit God. We try to confine God. God, you can have this part of my life, but not this part of my life. We bargain with Him. Why don't we just give ourselves to Him? Regardless of what surprises come our way, the one simple thing that God asks of us is surrender to Him. And I wonder this Christmas season, if you would just give yourself to Him, trust Him. If you are saved this morning, hear this. It's not about you getting more of Jesus, but about Jesus getting more of you. Oh, the title of our sermon is simply this, my gift to Him. But more specific than that, church, make it this, my gift is me, is me. As we consider the gift of Christmas, I would be derelict in my duty as a pastor if I didn't remind us this beautiful Christmas Eve that there is no greater decision than the one to receive the gift of Jesus as your Savior. 
I think Mary is a beautiful example of this. Mary is not the queen of heaven. No, Mary was born a sinful human just like you and I. She was not perfect. She got grace the same way you and I did. She got it from God. She gets salvation the same place you and I do. From God. But Christmas is that beautiful expression of God's unspeakable, indescribable gift. That because you and I couldn't go to Him, He came to us. He came to seek and save you. You say, preacher, I don't know. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. And I say, you're right, I don't. And I don't really need to. But Jesus does, and He came for you. Since we could not go to him, he came to us. The Bible says since we deserve death, he died on an old rugged cross that we might live. He came to seek us and to save us and he makes that gift available to whosoever would receive him in faith. Oh, if you're here this morning and you have any questions about where you stand with God, there is no day like today than to know that you have put your faith in Christ, received Him as your Lord and Savior, and that you are a child of God, bound for heaven, forgiven and redeemed by the sweet, sweet Savior. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. And this morning, if you have any questions about what it means to be saved, to be a Christian, for your soul to be right with God, I want you to get my attention. I want you to come forward. I want you to grab the person next to you. I'm going to tell you, on Christmas morning, my kids, they're going to be excited to dig into those gifts. This morning, if you're not saved, the gift of salvation is right in front of you. Don't wait. Receive it today. Come, get someone's attention. We'll take God's word and show you how you, yes, you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, how you can be saved, forgiven, born again, a child of God for all eternity. But Christian, I ask us this morning, oh, Christmas is full of surprises, amen? What are those surprises? Let's review them one more time. Number one, the first surprise is God's ways are not our ways. Number two, the second surprise is God's favor doesn't always feel fair. And thirdly, my surrender is key to my success. Christian, are you surrendered to Him? You know, we give gifts to the people whose birthdays we celebrate, don't we? But at the celebration of Jesus' birthday, isn't it funny that we give gifts to ourselves and not to Him? Sometimes it's hard to figure out what to give someone. Now, husbands, if you've not bought a gift for your wife, there is still time, not much. But I found on the internet some advice for husbands, okay? How to know what to buy for your wives. Here's the advice. Number one, no sizes. Nothing with sizes. Never. Because you have about a 1 in 7,000 chance of getting it right. And if you get it wrong... Consequences can be dire. <laughs> Number two, if it's useful, avoid it. <laughs> Number three, avoid jewelry because you can't afford what she wants and she doesn't really want what you can afford. <laughs> Number four, avoid spending too much. Number five, avoid spending too little. If you will remember those simple rules, men, we are ready for success. <laughs> well, sometimes it's hard to figure out what to get for somebody, isn't it? 
But I'm going to tell you, church, it's not hard to figure out what Jesus wants. He wants you. He wants your heart. I love the hymn. We've sang it a couple of times this season. What can I give him? It goes like this. What can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. Make that your gift to him this Christmas. Could we stand together this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed?